Well, good morning, Willow Creek, and it's good to be here, and thanks for the, the kind introduction. Uh, it's kind of weird to hear the words professor and dean, considering I graduated high school with a D average. Uh, but if there's nothing else that the students will remember today is that Ds do get degrees. Uh, but that's a, another story for another day. But I'm actually here, and I had the privilege of bringing some of my students. We actually have a partnership with Propel. Many of you remember Christine Kane has spoken here uh, many times, and we partnered with Christine. She's actually a master's degree student uh, at the Wheaton College Graduate School. We have over 100 women this past week and uh, continuing this next week in classes. Actually, Beth Moore is flying in this afternoon, teaching our class with us tomorrow morning. And uh, so we're super excited to have some of them here at the South Barrington campus. Would you welcome some of our students who are here and about here? Right, we're glad to have them here. So um, this psalm is Psalm 23. It's a dangerous psalm in some ways because it's so familiar to us, and its familiarity can cause us to miss a lot of what's going on. I remember when I was in high school that even though I barely graduated, I barely graduated with the assistance of something that still exists today in different forms, and it's a little, these little books, they were yellow and black when I was a kid, now you download them, some of you know what I'm talking about, they're called Cliff Notes. Those cliff notes were life-saving for me. You see, high school, going to school wasn't my strength. If you've been watching Stranger Things, those were kind of my peers in high school, just without the monsters and the demons. And um, we played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We didn't spend a lot of time in high school. So I take the cliff notes and go through the cliff notes and sort of through those, learn the summarization of what was really a long book to try to sort of make it through the class. And in doing so, I learned that there are certain things that summarize bigger truths. And Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is kind of cliff notes for spiritual flourishing. Psalm 23 is something like cliff notes for spiritual flourishing. Now, here's the challenge. For a lot of us, Psalm 23 resonates as a funeral psalm. And maybe it's the most familiar psalm because we've heard it so often at funerals. I think One of the times most memorable for me when I read Psalm 23 aloud was as my grandmother was near death and I read Psalm 23 to her to comfort her in the midst of her passing. Or or maybe you remember after 9-11, President George W. Bush famously quoted Psalm 23 as he was seeking to comfort the nation. Now, but and it, and it is, it's not inappropriate in that context, but what I want you to see is Psalm 23 is not about funerals, it's about spiritual flourishing. It's not about death, it's about the truest life we can live. The psalmist knew that God is good and God is gracious, and so can you. The psalmist knew that God is good and God is gracious, and so can you. Let's take a look at the text, and then we'll walk through it. It's a short text, so we can read all of it easily today. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the, beside the quiet water. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm has two main metaphors, word pictures, if you will. God is a good shepherd who cares for each and every sheep. God is a host who has prepared 
a great banquet. Now, don't miss this. This is an Old Testament reference, right? This is a psalm written by David in the book of Psalms as we're walking through this summer here at Willow. But it also points to a New Testament truth because Jesus is the good shepherd, and Jesus told the parable of the great banquet. So the psalmist uses some absolute terms to speak of who God is and why it matters to us. He says, I lack nothing. I fear no evil. Goodness and my love will follow me all of my days. Now, but again, this is not just a psalm. It's also filled with promises, right? Through good and bad, through highs and lows, this psalm assures us that God, God goes before, with, and after us in all things. The psalm is a promise that the Lord guides and provides for his people every step of the way. So as we go through the text, I want to ask you to listen to what the Holy Spirit may be prompting you today. What is it that the Lord has for you and for us in Psalm 23? Because I think in doing so, we'll move beyond this simply simply being something that we've heard. Even if you've never been to church before, you may have heard this psalm at some point. It's that well-known. When presidents quote it, when we hear it at funerals, we see it in culture. It may be the best-known passage in the entire Old Testament, which makes us walking through it a bit dangerous because the end result could be that our familiarity will cause us to miss the depth of spiritual flourishing it provides. It's a cliff notes to spiritual flourishing. So let's look and listen to how the psalmist sees God and let it minister to you today. Look at two main things, right? I'll say this a few times throughout here. The psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. Number one in our outline is this. The psalmist knew that God is good. I want you to say God is good. Those three words, say it with me together, would you? Let's say it together. God is good. Now, I need you, when I ask you to say something with me, I want us to make sure we do this at all of our campuses, right? At Wheaton, which, by the way, just mentioning Wheaton was started in the Billy Graham Hall in the Barrows Auditorium, where I serve and lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So we're thankful for the history and connection that Wheaton has with Willow. But at Wheaton, at Huntley, at North Shore, at Crystal Lake, at South Lake, Chicago, South Barrington here, and those of you who are watching online, even if you're at home watching online, I want you to say, God is good with me out loud. Let's do it again together. God is good. Now, here in this, I'm kind of making a grammatical decision early on. Because I said the psalmist knew God is good, but this takes place in the past, so we could say God was good. The psalmist, David, lives a complex, a sinful, a forgiven life centuries ago, but he lived in the past. So we could say God was good, but I hope that by the time we go through the psalm today, this cliff notes of spiritual nourishing, that you'll know God is good. And since God is good, we kind of make that decision to say the psalmist knew that God is good and God is gracious. David thought God is good, and so do we. So David knew that God was good because he guides his people like a shepherd and his sheep. And it's worth noting that David, a shepherd uh, by upbringing, actually puts himself in the place of a sheep. He says, God is the good shepherd. I am a sheep. And the psalm reflects on the way God cares for, nurtures, leads, and protects his people like a shepherd his flock. And so to do this, I want us to quickly walk through those things. God cares for, nurtures, leads, and protects his people like a shepherd and his flock, because God is a good shepherd who guides his people. Let's look at the dimensions of that, and we'll walk through that together. The psalmist knew God is good, in part because God cares. 
God cares. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. We are so familiar with this passage. Sometimes our minds go to the, the King James Version, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right, but actually a translation a bit more modern, like the NIV using here today, is I lack nothing. God provides, God cares, God cares for my basic needs. If a shepherd cannot see what a sheep needs to survive, then he cannot be, she cannot be a good shepherd. So the shepherd, shepherds were both fierce and gentle. They, they care for the sheep. They fend off uh, predators and, and, and they tend wounds. Uh, shepherds were responsible for really every aspect of their flock's basic needs. Pastures, grooming, water, rest, security, health. They were all in the shepherd's hand. God cares like a shepherd for all of our lives. Not some of our lives, not our Sunday morning lives, not just parts of our lives, but for all of our lives depend on the care and the guidance of the good shepherd. Now, I didn't know, I grew up outside of New York City. I'm kind of a city kid. So I didn't know much about shepherds until I was doing a Bible study series for a book I had written. And they wanted to do it in, in Ireland. And they wanted to do it kind of around a castle. We were talking about the kingdom of God. And then we went to a field and we found a, a shepherd. And, and, and I got to talk to a shepherd in Ireland and learn some about what a shepherd does. And and I learned that shepherds, a shepherd's life, I mean, he, he smelled like the sheep. I mean, he really, the whole time, it's like, wow, this is kind of pretty remarkable. Actually, while we were there, one of the sheep went into labor, and in the midst of our conversation, he goes, delivers the baby sheep, and which I recognize there's actually a technical word for that, but I'm a city boy. So he delivers it, and it's just, ew. Some of you, some of you just got that. My kids call that a dad joke. Um, so, so, but then he comes back to the conversation with like the stuff still on his shirt because the shepherds are all in, right? The shepherd's all in. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not just the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. God is up in your life. God cares about the smallest and the largest concerns in your life. God, like a shepherd, is personal, is intimate, and a real shepherd. He knows you, and he cares for you, and he eagerly desires to sustain us. And that's not just something that David wrote about in the Old Testament. Jesus literally says, I am the good shepherd. If you're a follower of Jesus, he promises to care for us, to know us. He lays down his life for us because we are his flock. The Lord is our good shepherd who intimately cares for his people as he guides us. Look at the words in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not a code of rules and regulations to follow. It's not a label that we use. It's not a Sunday morning experience. It's to know and be known by the Lord. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious we see that God cares, but there's more. Also, God, like a shepherd, God nurtures. God nurtures because he's good. Psalm 23, verse 2 says this, He, God, the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes 
my soul. So in addition to caring for the flock's needs, he actually is concerned to nurture the flock. Man, sheep are actually hardy and can survive in difficult circumstances, but the good shepherd guards them and guides the flock to peace and rest. And actually, here's something I don't want you to miss. A shepherd cannot guide a flock that is in constant threat of danger. So here, this field is green with grass, and the stream is gentle. The sheep may rest here because the shepherd has led them to a safe, peaceful, and bountiful land. Now, don't miss this. The psalm, like so many psalms that we've gone through this summer here at Will, if you're following on with the series, you can follow along week by week or also watch them online through past messages. So this psalm is written to praise the Lord like so many we're covering this summer. But it's it's important to note that the sheep must trust the shepherd to nurture them. The flock doesn't try to escape the shepherd's eye or to find rest and security on their own. They trust the shepherd to nurture them and his peaceful pastures. Where there's a shepherd, there's no fear. And here's the reality. I want us not to miss this because this is the call that Jesus says to us. I'm going from the Old Testament to the New Testament on more than one occasion because the themes are repeated there. If God nurtures us like a shepherd, we can also look at Matthew chapter 11. Listen to the words. Jesus speaking, and he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. So this is for you if you're not a follower of Jesus, but this is for you as a follower of Jesus. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden. It's like God does not unnecessarily wear out his sheep. If you get to the place where you're worn out, when you're ready to give up, when you don't have much left, he calls you to rest. At the beginning of the pandemic, at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, we pivoted quickly to try to serve churches all around the world. We partnered with um, Rick Warren, the Peace Plan, and Saddleback early on with our Humanitarian Disaster Institute and the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We formed coronavirusinthechurch.com. Because all of a sudden, the world was changed in substantive ways, right? All around the world, churches moved to streaming services when they could. A new experience for some, Willow, far ahead in many ways. But still, to have buildings where people are not meeting, to see all of this shift going on. So our team did a great job. They, they shifted, and, and it took 12-hour days and 13-hour days. And, 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 and it got to the place where we were working long, coming in on Saturdays, trying to help serve the church. And in the midst of that, um, I, I was dealing kind of my own conversations with my family. I'm, I'm married to Donna, um, and I have three daughters. They're, uh, they're 16, 18, and 23, which is um, awesome, but they, they do have so many words, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> and um, so, so we all were suddenly at home, right? And and Donna's an introvert, and I'm an extrovert, so I, I said to Donna, I, you know, the president said, we're going to have two weeks, the shutdown for two weeks, and so everything shut down for two weeks. Then he announced it was going to be extended to a month, and we were watching television. I turned to my introverted wife, and thank God for introverts, and thank God for extroverts. God uses all kinds and blesses in different ways. So I turned to my introverted wife, and I, and I said to her, Donna, we're going to be like locked down for another month. Is it as an introvert, is this like good news for you? And she responded with a smile, are you going to be here the whole time? 
Have you, have you lived that life during some of that? So, so we had some of the, the challenge of being locked down. We were working to try to serve churches. And, and, and I got to tell you, I began to see in my own heart a, a, a growing sense of struggle, a lack of rest, a growing sense of anxiety. And then a tragedy came. I, I, I won't share the details of the tragedy, but I, I've written about it before. I don't want to distract from our conversation here, but a, but a friend of mine and family experienced a tragedy. And And I got to tell you, that was to me the place where I had no more, I had nothing left, and I had to just in tears come before the Lord, and he led me to those green pastures. Because when you are worn out, when you're done, when you're at the end of your rope, Jesus is there calling you to say, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that may be what the Lord has for you today. See, some of you need to take the time to listen and to rest. Jesus is eager to nurture you. Stop listening to that voice in your head that's saying, no, no, you got to do this or more. Or that voice from your neighbor who says, you got to do this or that. Or that voice from your boss who's pushing and pushing. Listen to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. So we see that God cares, that God nurtures, God leads Walking through the text, it says God leads. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. The obvious task is the shepherd to lead the sheep to safety. Just as the Lord went before his people as a, in the Old Testament as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, so he goes before his people to guide as a shepherd. And don't forget that he does it for his name's sake, but he guides us. The Lord guides us. God cares, nurtures, and leads because ultimately he loves us and we are his sheep. And God protects, right? We looked at God cares, nurtures, and leads, and God protects. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, and we know we immediately want to go to King James, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? The King James English, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Um, but of course, Jesus didn't say that in King James English. It's Old Testament, and it's translated, even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? So there are dangers, and in the midst of those dangers, the sheep are protected by the shepherd. Now, something else happens here that I don't want you to miss. Look closely at the verse. It says, um, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Just the sentence before, it was he guides me. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the midst of worship, sometimes we'll be singing about God and he and what he does, and then our language changes to I and to you. It becomes deeply personal. And often in our lives, we draw near to the one who protects us, just as David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. Don't miss the double possessive there. Your rod and your staff, right? Means of protection and comfort. They comfort me. I don't want you to miss this. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not a promise of a pain-filled life. It's a promise for us of a Jesus-filled journey. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. It's not a promise of a pain-filled life. It's a promise for us of a Jesus-filled journey. So that darkest valley, God is still there. I've walked those valleys. 
and so have you. I came to Christ in a church that taught me that once I was a Christian, I wasn't going to have any more problems. Um, I was going to be happy all the time. It's going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise because I'm a follower of Jesus. But as a new believer, we saw very quickly that's not the case. Because all of a sudden, my sister who loved the Lord, she, she was diagnosed again for a, separate, a second time with a rare form of cancer. And, and here I am as a, a new young believer. We, she would, she, we would go to events together and I would teach the Bible and she would sing. And then I began to see her slowly waste away and ultimately go to be with the Lord. And my faith had no category for a reality of suffering when all I ever heard was that everything's going to work out fine because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So where is God in the midst of that? See, we walk together through the darkest valley, me, my family, and others, and walking through that dark valley, the promise is not that we will live a pain-free life. It's a promise for us of a Jesus-filled journey. And at that moment, we knew the Lord was there, and the Lord's presence got us through the darkness. He protects us, not from pain, but with the promise of his presence. Now here you you hear the darkest valley here, and it's traditionally the valley of the shadow of death, which is actually another fine way to translate the Hebrew into English. But the darkest valley is the one where we face our biggest fears, our struggles, and anxieties. Might even mean grappling with inevitable death, which is why this psalm is so often read at a funeral. But I like the words of the preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He put it this way. He said this. He said, death in its substance has been removed. Only the shadow of it remains. This is what we knew for my sister. Her name was Elizabeth. This is what we know for her. Death in its substance has been removed. Only the shadow of it remains. Nobody's afraid of a shadow. For a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. And the shadow of death cannot destroy us. As Christians, we get the fullness of this. Romans 8.31 comes to mind. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't miss this. The psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. God is good and God is gracious. Let's go to number two in our outline. Number one, the psalmist knew that God is good. Number two, the psalmist knew that God is gracious. Would you say those words with me, those three words, all of our campuses online as well? Let's say it. God is gracious. The psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. He's gracious. And the psalmist wants us to know of his graciousness. Let's look at it. What does that look like? Well, walking through the text, right? Just six verses here. We can walk through them together in the time we have. God delivers surprisingly. God delivers surprisingly. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which automatically leads us to ask, who wants to have dinner with your enemies? I mean, we go through this verse and we may miss what's going on here. Now, some scholars say this is a sheep-related example. I think a better explanation is the psalm actually expresses joy and gratitude at the discovery, not of a plate, not of a tray, but of a table prepared by the Lord himself. The Lord prepares a feast in celebration of the psalmist's arrival. Now, now we would say yes to that, right? Uh, But the guest list might cause us to pause because sitting at the table, some of our enemies. Now, in the psalm, that could be one of two things. It could be 
It could represent reconciliation. See, as we go through relational difficulties, as we have struggles, the reality is we don't know yet if the Lord is done. There could be a reconciliation still to come. And so God can still work miracles and broken relationships accompanied by repentance. And this is not everything the Bible says about relationships and reconciliation here. But it could be that the feast is because there has been a reconciliation. Or it could be that there's been a vindication. That in victory, God is vindicating those who were right and displaying that from those who were wrong. So I don't know what it is. Here's what I know. God delivers surprisingly. These are not the only two options it could be, but it could be a reconciliation. It could be a vindication. But when we follow the Lord, victory, I mean, I've read the end of the book, Jesus wins. God will not be mocked. The truth does come out. These things that are wrong are made right, and the psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. So we looked at God delivers surprisingly, but also God blesses extravagantly. God blesses extravagantly. He says this in Psalm 23, verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, one of the things about the Bible, we have to understand it's written in a time when people did things differently. If you show up for a party and people pour oil on your head, it's not generally well received today. But in that day, in that culture, in that context, that was a way of blessing. Anointing our head with oil was a way of blessing. It was a way of honoring, right? The honor is not earned. It cannot be demanded. In fact, Jesus says anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but God graciously and lovingly. Here in this psalm, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and... In the coming of Christ, we know what that looks like as followers of Jesus, which leads us to the third thing. God loves eternally. God loves eternally. Surely your goodness and love, so ties into the song that we're singing around these themes, the beautiful interwovenness of these services. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the psalmist rejoices that God relentlessly pursues them with goodness and love as a generous host forever. The Lord has adopted into the household an eternal recipient of his unconditional grace, his mercy, and his love. And it's interesting. It says, will follow me. What does that mean? It's like, like, kind of look behind me and there's God's love and goodness. It's a reminder. There's never a time and a place where God's goodness and love is not right there. So don't miss this. When things are good, God's goodness and love is there. When things are down, his goodness and love is there. When your marriage is struggling, God's goodness and love is there. When your relationships are in trouble, God's goodness and love are there. When there's a pandemic, God's goodness and love is there. When your church is in a struggle, God's goodness and love is there. When culture's divided and people are a mess, God's goodness and love is still there. And it never ends. It goes on forever and ever and ever. One day, I hope you'll come visit us over at Wheaton College. I'm at Billy Graham Hall there. And the first floor of Billy Graham Hall is the museum. I love to take groups through the museum. Took my students through the museum this week. I love to tell them the story. As you go through the museum, there's only one verse that's repeated twice in the museum. It tells a story of American evangelism. And that verse is John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, 
Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't want you to miss this. If goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that truth is ultimately made possible because God so loved the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we will live with God forever, without sin, without danger, and without death. Because the psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. And God invites people to dwell with him forever. And if you will trust and follow Jesus today, you can say what followers of Jesus say. Let's look at what it says. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For I am convinced. This is kind of what a sheep would say in a loving embrace of the shepherd. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. Jesus Christ walked triumphantly through the darkest valleys so he can guide us to eternal home with God our Father. Listen, Psalm 23 is not just about funerals. It's about spiritual flourishing. It's not about death. It's about the truest life we can live. It's a cliff notes to the spiritually flourishing life. The psalmist knew that God is good and God is gracious, and so can you. In just a moment, we're going to sing of the goodness of God and thank God for the ability to do that. But those words can just be words recited by rote if you're not a follower of Jesus. So I want to invite you today. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer and give you the opportunity to respond by grace and through faith to the good news of the gospel. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you to dwell on the beauty and richness of this psalm and to remind yourself that the psalmist knew that God is good and God is gracious. And as a follower of Jesus, so should you. Let's bow our heads. Let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today reminded of the beauty of this psalm. And that the psalmist knew that God is good and that God is gracious. And Father, across our campuses, watching online, there are people who need to be reminded in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a challenge, that that we walk through this darkest valley You're there. That we're in the midst of the difficulty. You are my shepherd. You restore my soul. I'll fear no evil. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, all of our campuses. If you're a follower of Jesus, take just a moment and respond to God's goodness and grace in the beauty of the psalm. A cliff notes of spiritual flourishing. And know that God is good. And know that God is gracious. Whatever the need, whatever the place you need, his goodness and his grace, he is there for you right now. Take just a moment between you and the Lord. Thank him for that. Or ask his strength to know and walk in that. For indeed, he is the good shepherd. If you're not a follower of Jesus, well, followers of Jesus are no better than you, just in a different relationship with God through Christ. While they're praying and preparing their hearts and responding to this truth, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news, right? This invitation is before you. Someone texted me this morning and said, during Psalm 23, I knew that he was my shepherd and I became a Christian. I want to invite you this morning in this quietness of this moment to pray this prayer. If it's the prayer of your heart, just pray with me silently to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. 
Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. I follow you as my shepherd. I submit to you as my Lord. I repent of my sins, and I receive the new life you've given me. Father, I pray for women and men, young people who just prayed that prayer, that in this moment, Lord, in your grace and goodness, you might remind them deeply and profoundly that indeed you are the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And all of us together, we make that our prayer. We thank you, the Lord is my shepherd. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.